Hi everyone, I am dialing in here uh, from Nice in the south of France with my friend Pratik Jain who's going to be teaching a fantastic course on B2B product management. But Pratik is a fantastic guy. We're going to discuss a bit about his life journey, his career and how he chills, how he relaxes. What I'm primarily interested in learning about is why is he teaching? Um, he has a pretty secure job, he's doing really well. So Pratik, how are you doing today? What's up? Hey, Utkarsh. Great to meet everybody here in the audience. I'm doing great. Uh, often people also call me PJ. Critique is difficult for lots of people in the Western Hemisphere. I'm uh, I'm interested in chatting about everything, not just the background of Nice right now, but uh, the reasons we all teach, the reasons we all learn. And yeah, life is pretty exciting. So when life is on hyperspeed, you're trying to find ways to bring people along. And this is one way to do it. Awesome. I really feel that uh, everyone should have a side hustle and a side hustle could be something that they are passionate about. And I've seen you uh, or I've known you to be a fantastic explainer of things. You love to break down uh, things from first principles. And is that something that you apply in your day to day thinking as a product manager at Twilio? I think that's the most appropriate way to take on hard topics. Um, as a product manager at Twilio, here I work in San Francisco. Every day in San Francisco, you're trying to look at the world in a lens of, can this be done better? Can this be more efficient? Can this industry take this problem on in a different way? And often the only way to do that is by looking at problems in a first principle. So if you look at uh, what Twilio does, for example, we're looking at how to communicate with human consumers. And generally, you would imagine that they just pick up the phone and call you or they just send you an email. But how do they do that at scale? And when we say scale, last year, the Twilio platform powered 4.3 trillion interactions. Now, remember, the world has only 7 billion people. That means everybody got hundreds of emails, hundreds of text messages, hundreds of phone calls. And it's not spam, because that's one of the things my team does. It is real valuable stuff that tells you your Uber has arrived or your DoorDash is here at the scale of these companies growing as fast as they are. And so you have to think of it as first principles. You have to think of it as what do I do that helps the impact or the mechanics of this scale infinitely. Right. Hey, tell me something. Didn't you get this extraordinary talent or exceptional talent visa recently? Or was it what? Extraterrestrial citizen of the world. Was it because you're a great product manager? Uh, how did that happen? I recently got a visa designation called an alien of extraordinary talents, which is a strange way of saying smart person, I guess. But it's usually centered around uh, anybody who has a specific talent in a particular field. So often they give it a nickname, the Einstein visa. And frankly, you don't have to be Einstein. Frankly, you just have to have some passions that you get really good at and the world comes to acknowledge it. If you are the world's best juggler and you win the world juggling contest, you can get the Einstein visa. I personally uh, found myself 
being pitched by my lawyer to go get this visa. And I said, why would the world consider me extraordinary? And she just uh, looked at me in disbelief and read me back my resume. And it turns out that the US will consider you as an extraordinary alien if you have built a hybrid airplane that NASA certifies as the world's first hybrid airplane. If you've got some patents on rocket design and airplane design, if you have uh, built some software that, well, actually recently, during the COVID pandemic outreach times, my team built some COVID outreach software that President Biden then used and announced in his State of the Union speech saying we're just about to launch this product. He, of course, didn't name who built it, but I was in the background ramping up capacity of our systems exactly for the same reason, for scale, because the president was announcing it for the rest of the United States. And um, suddenly the United States government was like, hey, wait a second, our president is talking about stuff and PJ is in the background making it happen. Then maybe we should give him an extraordinary reason. And this is a really hard visa. The name says it all. But now it sort of frees you up, right? Now as an Indian born um, or Indian citizen as well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, living in the US, you're in a way, you and your uh, lovely spouse, you're free from the visa struggles that millions go through year after year. Um, many times people look at uh, careers as means to an end. Oh, let me get a top-notch MBA. Let me get a top-notch job. Let me get a few CV points so that finally I can get over my troubles, get an uh, extraordinary citizen visa, settle down in a place of my choice, so on and so forth. Basically, you have a life deferment plan. Now, you've done a really good MBA. You've literally got the extra extraterrestrial visa and what have you. Um, why still do more? Why not rest? Oof. Uh, what? Uh, why rest? The Everything I do, is meant to be able to take on more risk. So if it is a very secure job, it allows me to stop thinking about the financial pieces of uh, this life equation and then go take on some risks in the side hustle. Initially, um, I came to the US obsessed with airplanes, obsessed with the idea of designing airplanes. College taught me that it isn't just airplanes that are cool, it is problems are worth solving and technology is a good means to solve them. So suddenly I found myself building rocket engines uh, and airplanes were normal airplanes, right? Why did they need to be hybrid? Because it's better. Uh, I think there's no point. I don't know why Utkar should be asking me a question about resting when he doesn't sleep. Uh, <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking you for this question. Because, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of people, hundreds, many, many people will be taking your course. Uh, look at careers um, as a means towards an end. Oh, I'm doing this so that one day I get a visa. I'm doing this so that one day I go to a top-notch MBA. I'm doing this so that one day NASA recognizes me or somebody recognizes It's all means towards an end. But when you came to me and said that, hey, I want to teach a course. I want to teach what I love. I love product management. I love scale. And I was like, wow. I mean, I'm proud of my friend. You literally have like uh, an impeccable CV and you want to do more. So this hunger needs to be demystified. And the, for whoever listens to this, whoever watches this, I want to drive home the point. Uh, whether you rest or not, you cannot look at your CV or your work as a set of checkpoints. Because Pratik literally has all the checkpoints. No more I'll are required. Add, I'll add to it. I think 
people who are trying to build a resume that fits all the check boxes often miss out on the joy of doing what they really enjoy and often there are things that you will be like oh my god this would be the most important thing on my cv let me go do that and you don't enjoy it and then you decide okay fine i'm going to do it for the cv and a few years later you will happily and actively just remove that item from your resume because it isn't something we want to be talking about when you're talking to people uh, about future career options. Frankly, yes, definitely. I've, I've coached a lot of MBA applicants and aspirants for these visas and talked them through, okay, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And their reason was check boxes. But they didn't have great memories of it. I've only often followed uh, obsessive passions. And there are times when you reach an obsessive passion and then you're like, okay, now what? So when I started designing airplanes, at, the age of 22, I was suddenly like, shit, this was my life's dream. Now what? And it took me a few years. It took me I did some startups. Uh, I went out and got an MBA to get to the point of okay, what next is actually a passion for building technology that fails. Now I'm here and I'm building very hardcore technology. It has a lot of influence in the world. And now for me, the what next question is where did my personal impacts come further? And one answer is teaching. Another could be some more startups. Uh, another could be writing some more. And, uh, you know, we talk about micro experiments, and you talk about it in your new book. Uh, micro experiments lead you into many tangents, but they're mostly joyful. And there are some that you can do again and again, getting more out of it than before. But then that micro experiment becomes your own. So I want to tell everyone, you know, uh, on Network Capital, there are no secrets. Pradeek and I, dear friends, we know each other for many years. But I really asked him when we, when he was thinking of this course, why are you doing it? Like, you know, you've just like gotten over something really busy. This is not something that's going to make a significant difference to your, uh, you know, your income or anything. It's like you know, money is, uh, it's mostly a philanthropic initiative to be your time. Um, and this is not going to be an easy course because you want to select top-notch hungry students who want to learn. Are you really willing to put in the effort? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, let's do this then. And uh, it's been fun. Like we have formed a really interesting cohort. We have, uh, at last I checked, um, uh, 14 or 15 people. Uh, I'll have to just go back to my numbers again. And all of them have done exceptional things in life. Uh, they come from different walks of life. Some are uh, already product manager. So I was wondering, Pratik, uh, how would you manage to teach hyper growth B2B product management to such a varying range of uh, students. I have been losing sleep over this, honestly. The cohort <laughs> is so interesting. There are people who are uh, building products at AWS that scale magnificently. There are people who are building ad services at Google. There are people who are doing e-commerce businesses. There are entrepreneurs who are starting off companies but want to learn because they want to be to be customers. Uh, there are analysts who want to become product managers, but they already get the data part of it. They want to learn the skills of the product management. And I've been losing sleep over how to make their time really valuable. And honestly, the I am super grateful to people to give their trust and give me a few hours of their life to see whether we can take them to the next level. I'll give you a story though, uh, A few years ago, I got this wonderful opportunity to teach at the Tacoma Women's Prison in New York State. In New York State. Oh, and what I was teaching I don't them, think I know this. 
Uh, well, what I was teaching them was financial literacy and basics of entrepreneurship, because our theory was that once they leave the prison, it'll find it'll be very difficult for them to get a traditional job because the United States has it on your record that you were incarcerated. So we wanted to teach them how to manage money better because most of the petty crimes were definitely committed because of a lack of resources and how to kick off anything, a food cart, uh, a little laundry business, a little uh, home janitorial service. And in that classroom, there was one Russian lady who already had an MBA. And I was an MBA student back then. There were a bunch of women who had varying degrees of high school and college education. There was one lady who had just completed third grade and then left school. And there was one lady who only spoke in Spanish. So every time I would make a complete point, I would look around and I would wait till the person who was her friend explained it to the Spanish lady what this means. And I would look at the lady who already had an MBA to see if she wanted to add anything. And in this cohort of 35 people who had been judged for the worst day of their lives, some of them I found out later had been in there for triple murders. We still had a whole bunch of them coming forward to give me a hug at the end of the course because they got something out of it. And they now had a chance at a more free life after they left the prison. So I have a feeling that if you spend the time and take the care to teach with your heart, you will get something out of it. And that's my plan. That's fantastic. And more power to you. I think uh, the prison system, we should have a discussion on this separately. Because I once heard uh, four inmates on a podcast uh, by Tim Ferriss. And it was a very different kind of a podcast, but I have, I made copious notes of it. I reflected on it. And I don't think I came to a coherent uh, point of view. So I'll, I'll be very curious to dive deeper into your teaching experience there. So that's your teaching pedagogy. Tell me, um, at the end of the course, how would you evaluate uh, students and how would you evaluate yourself? And how would you, uh, you know, evaluate just the CBC ecosystem? Talk to me as a PM. So the metrics of success, they're very important. Actually, I don't intend to just measure the course. I intend to measure every week. The hope is that people uh, have a quick rubric, five questions, five tick marks, whether a session was valuable, whether the homework, every session of the homework was valuable, um, whether people got something as an insight out of their cohort peers, and how easy were their peer mates to work with. Because if somebody gives you the gift of feedback, that is a gift that's super valuable. Um, I'm looking to get, uh, at the end of the course, this, it's a fairly intimate cohort. It's less than 25 people. I'm hoping that, one, the community lasts. I remember we yeah. took a cohort-based course about writing with you, Akar. And I still actually hang out with people, chat with them, connect with them, read their stuff about the things that they write about that was part of my cohort. So I'm hoping that that cohort lasts, they have a sense of community after the course. Two, if any of them have a career move that they're thinking about or thinking about some product questions, this is the resource that they lean on. Three, I want to give people a set of ways of thinking and a set of ways of approaching a problem that if they were to apply, they can make better decisions than they were to apply. It's a very PM thing, right? It's like a very MBA thing. Framework, framework, framework. That's about frameworks and more about an approach to problems 
Typically, you can think of it as a first principles approach, or you can think of it as outcome-driven approach. This is the metric I want. I want to move it. These are the eight signals I need to measure it. These are the eight levels and it puts. And then here's how I can move these in to get to the And at least those are the mechanics that I want to teach people out of the course. How so it seems how like you're, got, you're looking at metrics and uh, stories and keeping it ongoing. Yeah? Yes. I think that's the essence of uh, CBCs, keeping the community engaged throughout with uh, not quick fix solutions or seven ways to make a million dollars in product. Like that kind of videos, I, I like, you know, have special derision for, for things like that, uh, even though I understand why they exist. But I don't think anyone ever made anything product based reading six ways or seven ways of to do something. Shortcuts, you know, as people say, it's uh, not really as short. Mm -hmm. So how have you come up with some of these frameworks? Did you, did somebody at Columbia tell you, or Twilio tell you? Did you learn it by doing? Did you come up with yourself? Uh, I know you hike a lot, are these meditations while hiking? So what's the source of all of this wisdom? Good question. Uh, my dad always said, you don't an education with a degree. You get an education for the mindset. And when I was studying to be an engineer. It's always about there are problems which have a solution. And if it's a mathematical problem, they have an exact solution. The world is not that clear. So my learning from the engineering world was probably ways to approach that list of approaches and then figure out a way to get an answer. And it doesn't have to be the textbook way. Uh, so the way I think of it is, hey, I learned a lot across lots of books, lots of courses, lots of uh, degrees, uh, undergrad in engineering, masters in engineering, masters in business. Uh, I learned a bunch of the job, but I learned a bunch from compiling these experiences together. So. Uh, engineering meets product management meets writing, and suddenly you're thinking about a community course in a completely different way than if you were a teacher who were just studying teaching and wanted to learn in front of a class. My hope is that the synthesis of a bunch of different and a bunch of different experiments leads to some cohesive ideas around how to make decisions better. And it, I, I can't really say this degree taught me that principle or that project taught me this as much as I've been compounding the things I'm learning from the community. Yeah. I really like this answer, Pratik, because it's so fundamental to the way I think about living life and learning as well. You know, I think uh, I have an interesting life. I don't know. I, I don't think so, so much about success, but I do think about whether I'm doing interesting things or not. And on that measure, I find myself doing all right uh, most of the time. And one reason is that I love intersections. Mm -hmm. I can think like a poet, I can think like a quant, I can think like a business person, I can think like uh, a hippie. And I think at the intersection of all of these is an insight. This contradisciplinary learning, contradisciplinary thinking is something that makes life and learning uh, fun. And it also mm -hmm. gives you what uh, some people in the Valley have started calling specific knowledge, something that cannot be taught something that can be learned so the way i look at your cohort based course on uh, a very specific kind of hyper growth b2b product management is that 
we're not here to give formulae only that people should mimic and suddenly they'll become better product managers. It's essentially teaching them how to pick up the skills, apply the frameworks in their own way. And I think that specific knowledge, if a lot of the students take away and then keep building, because it's a constantly evolving field, I think that would make uh, both you and I very happy. That would. So I really like that. Let me give you another story. Recently, I had a an old friend from college. She was super excited. I have this opportunity at my work. This company that I've been itching to work for, I just got a job a year ago. I wanted to join as a product manager, but I got the job as an analyst. But suddenly, the PM on this team has left. There is a gap. I want to fill it. So I went to the manager of the team and I said, Why don't I become the product manager? And the guy said, Look, I'm trying to make this decision right now. Why don't you come back with a proposal? And uh, you know, based on how you think about it, maybe you can fill that role of product manager. And she called me up and she said, can you help me? And I said, absolutely, I can help you. Why don't we join the course? She said, I am already signed up for the course because I want to learn, learn the things that you're going to teach. But right now, this opportunity is open till Monday. So why don't we talk through it? So she, she laid out the problem that she was thinking about. And I said, this is exactly the kind of material, the kind of ideas, the kinds of questions we want to tackle. So what I, what I asked her was, can I use this example in the course as the opening decision point? And she said, you can totally do that, but let's solve it together. And we did. And at the end of the conversation, it was so, like you call it, such specific knowledge. The questions I asked her were completely different from the question that the analyst in her had asked already. So she had already pulled all the data. But the mechanics of how do you make this decision, not just beyond the data, uh, that's right. what I have a very, very good intersection of skills. Hey, PJ, um, I I know that you have my new book, but have you read it? Have you re read the uh, chapters in section three and four? Haven't gotten so far. I've read the introduction. Okay. I've read a couple of random chapters hmm. in the middle. I've not gotten to section three, four. So one chapter you'll find on why teachers will be millionaires tomorrow. Generally speaking, like traditional teaching uh, in schools, uh, especially schools, uh, less so in universities, is what you call a, not a particularly well-paying job. Uh, mm -hmm. Teaching is a difficult, but not a well-paying job in many countries. Um, but I'm convinced that using the passion economy and the creator economy, uh, a lot of new class of millionaires will be teachers. And I document I like some of the people taught cohort-based courses on network capital, a platform similar to that and generally the evolution of teaching. And uh, I really feel that after a few cohorts, what happens is that uh, reputation spreads and people start telling other people. And one of the case studies that you'll read in the book is of this uh, uh, self-proclaimed unemployable philosophy professor from Lebanon who migrated to Spain in the midst of the crisis. Uh, he teaches a fantastic CBC like yours, but on uh, philosophy. And uh, he went from, you know, the absolute catastrophic situation that there is in Lebanon to now becoming among the uh, most empowered people financially in that country. He now moved to Spain, etc. Um, and I think the point is twofold. One is you can actually make a pretty handsome living doing so. But second, it's also a job on your terms. And most fundamentally, teaching should not be underpaid. Learning is something that if a teacher has to do a good job, 
he or she needs to prepare a lot for it. Mm-hmm. And on the internet, if you're creating a course, if you're trying to do it, you sales, marketing, uh, etc., course analysis, structuring, largely by yourself. So right. I actually uh, am of the belief that uh, teachers should be better paid. One of the things that we're trying to do on Network Capital through faculty like yours is to imagine, can you really build, say, uh, an Oxford on the internet or a Columbia on the internet at 1% the cost? And my answer is uh, at least uh, coming to the conclusion that, yes, we can, if we assemble the best teachers and empower them to do what they love. And, you know, you are a fantastic example of somebody who I blindly trust to be able to deliver the course and do justice to it. Um, so, yeah, thanks for helping us with this mission. I it's just want to conclude. Uh, hang on. Before, before you go there, it's... I think it's in your family, right? This bloodline of we want to empower the world with our art, poetry, and our team. I know you're diving deep into it. What keeps you? Uh, what keeps you away from that imposter syndrome? Am I the expert to talk about the subject? There may be so many more who have an opinion. More. Yeah. You know, uh, Pratik, let me turn my camera and. Uh, then I'll tell you whether I practice what I teach or not. Do you see? Yes, I see this wonderful beach in France. The gorgeous, one of the prettiest beaches in the world. It's the Nice in south of France. And uh, I don't need to take this call. This way, you don't need to you know, make yourself available for this cohort-based course. But there's something within you that tells you that uh, you, know, you need to be truthful to your curiosity. I don't care if I'm the expert on uh, building network capital or building networks for education or passion economy. But I do know that uh, uh, it'll be hard to match my curiosity. Yeah. And with curiosity comes authenticity. Uh, with authenticity comes conviction. And, you know, if you keep showing up, uh, it's just, and you have friends like I do, Pratik Chen uh, and his uh, better half in San Francisco and around the world, uh, things start coming together. So I don't worry too much about expertise. I try really hard. I, you know, I uh, read and write and think almost all the time. Um, and I try to build a career now, which is at the intersection of doing what I love, teaching what I love, and connecting with people who I love. And why? You know, I mean, you know the answer, but I think just to verbalize it. My theory of change for the world is that the way to make it a better place, or the way to make a tangible difference, is through people's careers. And the way to change people's careers is to put them in touch with relatable mentors and have them learn from it. If you do this at scale, people will be able to make an impact on the world through their careers at a scale that is unimagined. Because, you know, change doesn't happen in theory. It happens bit by bit, change by a change. Um, so I'm a big believer of the slow movement, even though I'm evangelizing the B2B hyper growth product management course through this. Because it fits into the philosophy of it. Yeah, so, I mean, yes to imposter syndrome. Anybody who doesn't feel that is probably lying. But curiosity is a good antidote towards that, I think. What do you What do you feel? Did I give you a decent enough answer? Absolutely. I think it, it, uh, it came from your core, right? That, hey, I don't know if I'm the best person here. I'm curious enough to try to explain this. I'm curious enough to connect these people. I'm curious enough to learn more about the world. And, and uh, that's a powerful thing. Powerful way to think about it. 
Awesome. Before I let you go, I know you have to uh, show up at uh, some U.S. government thingy. Um, any parting thoughts for your prospective students in this cohort or the next one, uh, or any just message, um, just anything at all before I let you go, or anything I should have asked you that I didn't? I would I would request folks who are interested in the world of technology or in the world of uh, serving other businesses. I just ask them to think about how they approach notions around why they're using the approach that they're using. So are you using a process innovation or are you using a technology innovation or whatever? I would ask them to think about what would you do differently if you had a month to invest in yourself and then come away with some secret Silicon Valley. And then more than anything, if there's some hesitation around um, hey, I don't fit the bill for the people who are taking this cohort. I don't belong in this cohort. Forget about that. Approach it from the sense of curiosity that Rinkash just mentioned. Reach out if you have any questions. Uh, I'm so excited to bring together some brilliant people in one room, a Zoom room at the moment, but in one room to take on very, very hard, real problems that you face day to day. This isn't this isn't a read this chapter and show up and read. This is a what happened in your workplace a week ago. How would you have taken on differently? Were you to have 15 collective minds in the room with you before you went on track of the problem? And this is a powerful thing. In fact, of tightly knit people are the most powerful things in the world. It isn't a specific skill, it is a band of brothers that has been the only thing that has ever changed the world. Uh, that his theory of change is incremental but slow steady progress. Mine is similar. Mine is that expectation of performance. Most of us approach the world unprepared. If we can unlock people to not look at the world and their careers as a sense of fear, oh my God, if I don't do this, I won't have enough money to do that. But more, oh my God, I have 35 years left to live. Wow, it's such a short time. Why don't I chase every curiosity I have? But slowly and steadily, so that I can build some momentum along the way. I think miracles can happen when we all do that. I love it, Pratik. I'm going to be in SF next month for the launch of my book. So the cohort will get to perhaps do a class with you and I in one room. Finally, long, long away. Uh, go enjoy yourself, everyone. Uh, my very dynamic colleague will share the link to sign up for Pratik's course. If I were you and if I were interested in product management or business school or anything of, of, of the sort, I would enroll in it. But uh, I leave that decision to you. Thank you, Pratik. Thank you, everyone. And uh, speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye. See you soon.